Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. We are continuing in our Matthew series, and I hope you found it so far encouraging. We've been in it for quite a while. I know I've been encouraged, but I've also been convicted. Uh, there's, there's some hard truths or some difficult truths that Jesus gives to us and shares with us um, that can be challenging. And, and the longer that I dive into this letter, the more I'm seeing Jesus's teaching, it's, it's difficult. Um, he's confronting, and specifically it's about the dangers of what we call today works righteousness. This idea that we can obtain righteousness or obtain right standing with God by, by these actions that we do, whether it's giving, giving alms or giving financially, giving to the poor, or even just coming into a building on Sunday morning, that that will appease God. These various things that we do, maybe it's just saying different prayers that will appease God. And we know though, what, what Jesus is saying that it's not just our actions that are important, but it's the heart. And so throughout this series, uh, as we're reading the words of Jesus, we're seeing that he's diving down into the heart and questioning what is there. And we're called to have a heart after him, a heart after Jesus. So there's some challenging things that Jesus is saying. We've, we've already looked at a lot, but today, this passage, I think it's going to be challenging as well. And Jesus here is going to be warning his disciples of the opposition that they will encounter during their ministry. There's going to be a lot of opposition. And so in this, what he's doing is, um, in the passage that we're looking at, he's commissioning them to go out before Israel and to do the same ministry that he was doing. And today we're going to read about there's going to be opposition. And so it'll be interesting to, to, to look at that and, and see what that's like. But before we do, um, let me give you a quick review of what we've covered so far in the book of Matthew. It, Matthew starts out with a genealogy of Jesus, and it begins with Abraham, and it goes through to the line of King David, and it lists off his descendants until it finishes to Jesus. And this shows that Jesus is the rightful heir to the Davidic throne. And that corresponds with his message, right? His message from the very beginning was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? So it's picture of, it's kind of like, um, well, if you live in New Buffalo, you know what this is like, where you hear the train coming, right? And, and you can hear it far off, but you can hear it coming fast. And, and many times it just whips right through. And this is kind of the picture of the kingdom that's coming. It's like, look out, uh, the horn is blasting, it is coming, and it's coming fast. It is at hand. And that was Jesus's mes message to uh early on in his ministry. So this is the message that he proclaims as he's going out around through Capernaum. 
And it's during that time that he calls his disciples to follow him with the promise to make them fishers of men. So sooner or later, he's going to have them gather people with the same message. And it's during this time that, he, that Jesus travels throughout the region, preaching, teaching, and healing the sick and casting out demons. And this, of course, draws a large crowd. And this large crowd follow Jesus, and they follow him to a side of the mountain where he gives a sermon about what it looks like to be a true follower of this promised king. And so when he finishes that message, Matthew records various miraculous works which demonstrates Jesus' authority and power over the physical realm as well as the spiritual realm. So he can heal the sick, raise the dead, silent storms, cast out demons, and even forgive sin. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to Jesus, and it's through these miraculous acts of authority that more and more people are drawn to Jesus. So we've been reading about this starting in uh, chapter 2 and 3 and 4, and then in chapter 5, he does this, he gives this Sermon on the Mount, and then that goes all the way through chapter 7, and then chapters 8 and 9, we see these miraculous works taking place, and people are like, there is something going on here, there's something about this man, and he starts drawing a larger crowd and so it comes about that in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, as Jesus is traveling throughout all the cities and villages, ministering to the people, he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. He had compassion for them. He saw them as lost sheep without a shepherd. And so he gathers his disciples together and he calls them to first pray. And he says, Pray because the workers are few and the harvest is plentiful. And so pray for more workers. So the point is, is that Jesus' ministry is expanding and he sees the overwhelming need for care for the lost sheep of Israel. And so he, he gathers the 12 disciples who have heard his teaching saw the miraculous works that, was, that he was doing, and now he's preparing them to take on that same ministry. However, before he sends them out, before he, they take on this ministry, he has some important instructions to give to them. And so this begins this discourse, and we looked at the beginning of it this uh, last week, the commissioning of the twelve, and now today, we're, it's going to continue on. And this is the main point. This is the main idea of what he's going to get across to his disciples today when we look at these verses. And that is to trust in the Lord as an opposition arises in kingdom ministry. It's a call to trust in the Lord, to trust in God as opposition arises while they do kingdom ministry ministry. So with that, let's read this passage. If you could stand with me, I'll read it. And if you can follow along and pull out your Bibles and, and follow along in your Bibles, it will be up on the screen as well. But this is Matthew chapter 10, verses 
16 through 33. It says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is not enough for the disciples for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the, on the housetops. And do not fear those who will kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows." And so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I, will also, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we walk through this passage, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us your promises not just of who you are, but some of these promises here apply to us today. And there's also a call for us to not fear, to not fear opposition. Lord, I pray that this, this would be a word that would minister to our hearts, challenge us, and convict us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so starting out, want to point out that there are two cycles of warning and encouragement that we're going to look at. There are two cycles of warnings that Jesus gives and also two encouragements. So the first warning is found in verses 16 through 20, and it's this, that you will be persecuted for my sake. This isn't you might be persecuted. This is you will be persecuted. So Jesus begins by warning disciples that they will encounter trouble when they get sent out. 
and he uses the analogy of sheep among wolves. So imagine being one of the disciples before Jesus, and he gives this commission to you, and at the beginning, you're like, ooh, all right, I am ready to go. I am ready for ministry. And he goes, behold, hey, let me tell you, I'm sending you out among wolves. And you're like, what? Um, Did I sign up for this? Imagine what this may have sounded like, being sent out like sheep among wolves. Now, here's something that's interesting. So Jesus is using these analogies, right? He's using these word pictures, sheep and wolves. And what's interesting here is back in chapter 9, in verse, I think it's 34 through 36, somewhere in there, Jesus looks at the crowd. Remember, we talked about this already. Jesus looks at the crowd and has compassion for them because they were like sheep. So he's using the analogy of the people of Israel like sheep. And even in um, chapter 10, verse 6, when he's giving this mission, he goes, go nowhere among the Gentiles and, then, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's describing the people that they're to go out to to minister. He's describing them as sheep. And now he's changing the analogy. He's changing the meanings. The image uh, is a little bit different now. Now the disciples are the sheep and the people that they're going to go out among, he's declaring to be or giving a picture of wolves. So how can people be both lost sheep and ravenous wolves? So this is the the dichotomy of man, isn't it? We are very complex creatures, and both these portrayals or pictures of man can be true at the same time. And we see this often, and there's a lot of examples of this in the book of Acts. And so there's a time when the apostle Paul and Barnabas, they they go to this town called Lystra, and there Paul heals a crippled man. And it was such a miraculous work that the people that witnessed it, they began to worship Paul and Barnabas. They're worshiping them. And Paul and Barnabas said, wait, 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 don't worship us. We're, we're just messengers. You need to be worshiping Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth. That's who you need to be witnessing. But, but these people are so captivated by what Paul and Barnabas do, that they're worshiping them. And then, not too long after, it says, the text says that Jews from Antioch and um, Iconium come and they persuade the crowds. They change the crowds. They, They influence the crowds to such an extent that now they turn on Paul and Barnabas And they drag Paul out of the town and they stone him. Isn't that interesting? These people that are looking for something, looking for some type of help, they're worshiping Paul at one point. And in the very next, they turn around, they drag him out and they 
try to kill him. And this is, this is a picture of what Jesus is saying here is, yes, this is the lost sheep of Israel. They are lost. They don't see God clearly. They don't see the scriptures clearly because the scriptures clearly reveal who Jesus is. And when Jesus comes, they do not see it. They are lost. They are blind. But here's a description, another description. They're like wolves as well. And they'll turn around and attack even the ones that are trying to help them. So because of this dangerous mission, Jesus tells them to be wise as serpents. Because I'm sending you out on this dangerous mission, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So again, Jesus is using animals for an analogy here. And I believe what Jesus means with these analogies is that the disciples are not to be looking for a fight. Okay, so yes, they may be wolves. They may be sheep among wolves, but that doesn't mean that they are to attack these wolves. They're actually coming to save them. And so it's, it's this picture of they are not to incite the lost sheep so that they do turn into wolves, but that they would proclaim the gospel of the kingdom in a way that will entice them to follow the promised king. And this is the picture of being wise. So it's, so it's how do you engage with people? How do you speak? What are the words that you use? There's some wisdom there that we are called to have, but also we are to be innocent as doves, meaning we're not to compromise. We are not to compromise the truths of God. So this is kind of how I broke it down. Or Let's look at this first as application-wise, because we as Americans in the 21st century I think we have this natural inclination to stand up against those who oppose us, right? We, we don't like authority too much. And that kind of comes back to, you know, um, the, the independence of our country. Um, we take pride in how we've stood up against opposition in the past, but this is not the way we are to advance the kingdom of heaven. This is a little different. We don't storm the world by force for Jesus. Instead, we are to be like sheep, and it's wise sheep and innocent sheep. So in other words, and I don't know, I, I phrase, phrase this in a certain way, and I don't know how accurate it is, but it, um, I think it might be helpful. It says, do not incite, but entice without compromise. Right? So the goal is not to incite the crowd and, and to stir up the crowd. It's to entice them, to woo them for Jesus, but without compromise, which means there will be times where we have to speak the truth, and sometimes the truth is hard and it hurts. So 
an analogy or a picture of this. Um, I know Pastor Jeff has used this analogy in the past, I, and I can't remember what child it was who had to go to the hospital. Um, I think it was, uh, they blew out, um, was it their pink? It was Elisha, and um, he, uh, it was his pancreas, was it? Or what was it? Do you guys remember? Appendicitis. Appendicitis, thank you. That's starting to come back to me. Just a little kid, and they go to the hospital, and um, the doctor, I mean, you know, is, is helping him, and it's super painful. And he's pushing and prying, and, he, and Elisha's screaming in pain. And I think the words were something like da- afterwards, Daddy, why did you let the, this mean man hurt me so much? Right? And so, uh, and as a dad, Jeff had to describe, hey, sometimes, you know, the doctor was, is helping you, but sometimes that help is painful. I remember a time uh, when I was a little kid, I busted my knee, um, busted it open, had to go get stitches. And it was kind of the same idea where I'm in the emergency room and the doctors are numbing my knee. But, you know, it was, it was these shots around something that's very, and I was screaming bloody murder. Uh, I was, in fact, it was so loud that my dad was in the waiting room and he heard me screaming and like everybody kind of like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And my dad goes, with, with all the pride he could muster, ah, that's my son. <laughs> but, but what were they doing? I mean, it was super painful, but I had to go through that pain in order for them to help me, to stitch me up, to make me better. And so, you know what? I think sometimes truth is very similar. Truth can be painful. Hearing the truth can be painful but we're supposed to speak the truth out of love, out of care, even though it's painful. And so that's, that's what I mean by do not incite but entice with compro- without compromise. Um, a, uh, a church father named Chrysostom says it like this. He says, let us then be ashamed who do the contrary who set like wolves upon our enemies. For so long as we are sheep, we conquer. But if we become wolves, we are worst. For the help of our shepherd departs from us, for he feeds not wolves, but sheep. So it's this idea of, see, um, God does things in different ways. The, the world says, you know what, we need, to, we need to take by force, take by storm, and Jesus says, uh-uh. That's not the way the kingdom works. We are to be like sheep. And it's through that that the power of God works and the kingdom advances. Uh, another, uh, this is a theologian named Theodore Beza. And he says, may it please you to remember that the church is an anvil which has worn out many hammers. The church is like an anvil. We are to endure. We are to be strong and face opposition the way Christ has called us to face opposition. And it's through that that, pe- that the kingdom advances, right? The, the hammers are worn down. People turn to the Lord. And there are so many testimonies and so many examples throughout history of that taking place. 
So now we find in verse 17 that these wolves are going to deliver the disciples over to the courts where they will be punished and dragged before governors and kings. And this will be done for the sake of Jesus, meaning this will be God's plan for them. So how would you like that to be God's plan for your life? So do you guys remember the, the um, evangelistic booklet, the little tool, it's called the Four Spiritual Laws, and in it it says God has a wonderful plan for your life? I guess it all depends on what you mean by the word wonderful, all right? But, but here's the thing. God has a great plan for the disciples here, um, and it's actually a wonderful plan. In God's eyes, it's a wonderful plan. Now, we may be looking at it and be like, man, it doesn't sound too wonderful to me. But in God's eyes, this is a wonderful plan. And this is the plan for the disciples. They will stand before those who hold their lives in their hands. And so this could be very nerve-wracking. And so Jesus is telling them, when this happens, do not be anxious. It will happen, but when it happens, do not be anxious. So could you imagine being one of the disciples and standing before kings and governors? And, and they have the power to take your life. So I, I try to like equate this, and I don't know what this would, would feel like, except for I remember being called to the principal's office when I was in elementary school. Do you guys remember the walk down the hall? I don't know if any of you can relate, but I was a little bit of a rebel back in my elementary school times and getting in trouble, and that was like the worst feeling ever, right? Walking to the principal's office and, it, and just your, your heart dropping into your stomach because you know you are in trouble. And, and sitting and, and then trying to have to explain what happened, right? And doing so in a way where you won't get like a detention or ISS or get in trouble or miss recess, like that would be the worst thing ever. So imagine if your life is on the line, Right? And you're going before these judges, and they ask you, what do you have to say for yourself? I don't know about you, but I would be a little tongue-tied. I'd be like, oh man, how am I going to get out of this one? And Jesus is saying here, hey, disciples, don't be anxious. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Why? Because, because the Spirit of the Father will be with you. He is with you and he will give you words to speak. This is a call for comfort. You are to be comforted, even in this dangerous mission. You are to be comforted knowing that God goes with you. You know, many of these, uh, these men are fishermen. It's pretty wild that Jesus picked up these fishermen along the way. And could you imagine being a fisherman? They're, they're not well-educated, right? They're not uh, orators. They're, they're, they're not teachers. 
They may not speak well. They're, they're just plain fishermen. And it's through the power of God that they're going to go before kings and governors and speak God's word, to speak his truth. I don't know if, if I was told not to be anxious, I would be like, oh, thank you. Right? If you're like really anxious, don't. Stop it. The wonderful thing is, is, is Jesus is giving them this promise, though. And so they have no reason to be anxious because there is a, God, uh, a promise given that will, God will speak through you. And we actually see it later take place. So going back to the book of Acts, uh, this is, of course, after Jesus is resurrected, after the church is, is born. This is Acts chapter 4. Peter and John they get arrested, and they stand before a council. And what's wonderful here is as they're standing before this council, this, the passage says that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he speaks. He speaks, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gives this sermon that compels, compels them to, to an extent where they will be released, right? And there's a warning. You know what? Um, we will release you, but don't speak the name of Jesus anymore, right? Don't acknowledge him anymore. And Peter goes, I, you know what? For, um, far be it for us to, um, how does it go? Something along the lines of, hey, whether we listen to you or listen to God, but God called us to speak his name and to proclaim him. And so we're going to continue to do that. And so it's a beautiful thing to see in the book of Acts how Jesus um, or the Holy Spirit gives the words to Peter, gives him confidence to speak before men without compromise. All right, so this is the one cycle of warning and encouragement. You're going to be going before governors and kings. That's the warning. This is going to happen to you, but I'm going to give you words to speak. So here's the second one. Number two, you will be hated for my sake. This is verses 21 through 24. Um, if, if we look specifically at verse 22, uh, there's a commentator who translates this himself, and I love how he translated it. So I'm going to show this to you. It's verse 22, and you will be hated by absolutely everybody. You will be hated by absolutely everybody because of my name. You know what? This is going to include family. It's going to include family. So verse 21 says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. So Jesus tells the disciples that conflict and opposition will not just take place from those who are distant, but those who are near as well. Even the closest relationships will fall into conflict. So he's using strong language here to describe the immensity of these conflicts that will occur even in the family because of Jesus. Now, we may not see this as much 
or to this extent in American culture, but it's certainly in other cultures. So we have people like, uh, specifically like Pastor Jeff, who goes overseas and he goes to these uh, various countries, um, some of them that uh, the main religion is Islam. And, and God is doing work in these countries and there's people that are coming to Christ. And because of that, it's causing great conflict within the families where those who come to Christ are being disowned or they're losing their jobs and they're being threatened. And so maybe not here in America, but around the world, when people come to Christ, it causes great conflicts even within their families. There's a, uh, a book called uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, which is a great book. I recommend it to anyone um, by a man named Nabil Qureshi. And he was, he, he was raised in a devout Muslim family. And uh, it was later, I, I don't know if it was during college or post-college, where he finally comes to faith in Jesus. And when he does, when he goes to his parents and tells them, it causes great havoc. And there was, and there was conflict. And, in, and, and, and I think for a time they disowned him. It took a long time for them to, to, um, to reconcile and, and to come back together as a family. But it's because of this man coming to Jesus. So this, this does happen. And it even happens in the States, and maybe it's not the American culture, but we have many cultures among us. And so this causes great conflict. So opposition will not only arise from strangers or acquaintances, but they will also be opposition in the family. But here's the encouragement given in verse 22. So remember, that's the warning. It's going to divide families. But here's the encouragement, verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. So as trials come, as opposition arises, if you remain faithful to Jesus in the end, if you walk through this life, up, even up to your deathbed, if you remain faithful to him, you will be saved. And it's kind of like that picture again of that quote of the anvil and the hammer. The church is an anvil which has worn out many hamels. That's, that's that picture there of enduring. And this is, this is the promise of God. If we endure to the end, we will be saved. This is the call to the church it's a call to endure and persevere. And so this concludes the two cycles of warning and encouragement. So the first warning was, beware of men who will deliver you over to the courts, but take courage that the Spirit of the Father will give you words to speak. And then the second, you will be hated by all, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And now Jesus finishes this section by reminding them that if this is how they treat 
him, his followers will be treated the same. So verses 24 and 25 says, and the disciples and a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciples to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So remember back in chapter nine, after Jesus did all these miraculous works, the Pharisees stated that Jesus cast out demons by the prince of demons. That's what they said. After all these miraculous works that Jesus did, all the people saw this. Pharisees are there and they're like, um, we can't explain this. So, so what we're going to do instead, instead of trying to deny that he can do miracles, we're going to explain it away. And the only way they could do that is to malign Jesus by saying he did them by the authority of the prince of demons. And so if, if they would take that route with Jesus, if that's the way they go with Jesus, it, to such an extent that they, they're unwilling to acknowledge what Jesus is doing by the authority of God, the Father, should anyone be surprised that they would do the same to Jesus' disciples? Right? If they do it to the master, they're going to do the same thing to the servants. So the disciples should not be surprised as they continue the same ministry as Jesus is doing. So therefore, as followers of Jesus, we should not be surprised as well that we too will face great opposition if we stand up for truth. Friends, today, um, we, it's, it's the same today. In, a, in a different ways, truth is being attacked, right? There's, there's a way in which we want to, the phrase is um, to be able to speak my truth. So in a sense that we are taking ownership of truth, and by doing so, we can actually change the truth and make it to what, we, what we're comfortable with, and that becomes my truth. And, and in that, there's, there's an aspect of, now I must respect your truth, you must respect my truth. But what about the truth? And so in that, we shouldn't be surprised that when we speak not my truth or their truth, but when we speak the truth, it's not going to match up with theirs. And therefore, we too will face much opposition. We should not, we should not be surprised by that. It's, it's kind of what Jesus experienced in his ministry. As he spoke the truth and they're going, uh-uh, we don't like your truth. We're going we're gonna to stick with ours. We should not be surprised when they do the same today. All right. So those, that's, that's kind of the closing of that section. Now, let's look at this last section, verses 26 through 33. And this is fear the Lord and nothing else. This is the call to fear the Lord and nothing else. So verse 26 says, 
So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered proclaim on the housetops. So Jesus comes back to this word ministry in verses 26 through 28. So Jesus teaches the disciples that they are to go out and proclaim to the people, whether it's family members or neighbors or governors or kings, the disciples are to proclaim the truth of Jesus to all and let the chips fall where they may. There's a, another commentator, jo- Joachim Nilka, who says this. He says, let there be no covering up of difficult subjects. Indeed, shout even my toughest teaching from the housetops. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And a great example of this, and again, going back to the book of Acts. This is where we see, specifically see the disciples going out and, and proclaiming the gospels, proclaiming the truth to the people. And so this is a, an example with uh, Stephen, a disciple, and he goes before these religious leaders. Um, and, and the scriptures describe it of him being full of grace and power. And when, and when they see Stephen, the scripture says they saw, they saw his face and it was a face of an angel. So there's something about uh, Stephen. They're, Stephen being full with the spirit, there's something that they saw within him. And he, um, he gives this message to them. He starts by talking about uh, the Exodus back in the Old Testament and how God brought his people out of Egypt. And, and it captivates his audience. Stephen's speaking and people are listening there and they're entranced by what he is saying until, until he says these words. These words are hard. They're a bit harsh, but they're true. This is what Stephen says to them. (laughs) Verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law has delivered by angels and did not keep it. And so here, those for that phrase, he, Stephen does not pull any punches. And he gives his listeners the cold, honest truth. And then he leaves it up to them and how to respond. They could hear those words they can repent and turn and follow Jesus or they can reject those words. And we know if, if you continue reading, we know what happens. The people reject the words of Stephen. They are so in, angered by what he says as he's speaking the truth that they martyr him. They kill him. Friends, we must not be ashamed of God's word. The truth has been revealed to us. 
We have the word of God. And because we have the word of God, we should not be silent. And so, you know, this is one of the reasons why we practice what we call expository preaching. And what we mean by that is um, we take a book of the Bible, and this is what we're doing with Matthew, right? We take a book of the Bible and we start it at the very first chapter and we go to the very end. And, and we don't skip anything. And, and by doing so, sometimes uh, the messages that we give can be very uncomfortable. So I'll, I, let me give you an example by, uh, of this. I remember um, during the pandemic and when um, things politically were getting crazy and, and uh, the, the George Floyd situation t- just took place, and it just kind of turned everything upside down. I remember, I don't know if it was the very next Sunday or maybe two weeks from then, I remember we, I think it was, <laughs> I had to preach and it was in first, I think it was in first Peter where he talks about obeying the government, obeying those who rule over you during that time. And if you think about it, I'm like, how in the world, how in the world can I preach something about obeying the government and obeying those who have authority over you. When, when, when we saw this happen, when we saw this injustice, when we saw a death of a man. And so it's like one of those times where we go, you know what? Um, we did not plan this, but this is the message of the day. This is the message. And so and it's the message that I think God had for us at that time. And so it's this call of, you know, even when, if, if we see something as injustice, there's still a call for us as Christians to obey the authorities. And it's a, it's a tough, that was a tough message, I remember that. But you know what, that's, but it's something that we need to hear. So even when the message is difficult, it is something that we are called to continue to speak. So in this section, Jesus is calling his disciples to proclaim the truth, to bring it out into the light. And this is not easy. The opposition is going to be great for the disciples. And so Jesus tells them in three different ways to have no fear, to have no fear of the opposition. And so here's the first one. This is in verse 26. He says to have no fear of them because the truth will eventually win. The truth will eventually win. When Jesus returns, he will set what was wrong right. He will expose what is false and reveal the truth. And so uh, another commentator, Matthew Henry, says it like this. He says, let Christ's ministers faithfully reveal his truths and then leave it to him in due time to reveal their integrity. And so it's to have no fear because truth will eventually win out. Truth will eventually be revealed. So that's number one. That's why we are not to fear. Here's number two. He says in verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but, not, but cannot kill the soul. So uh, there's a, um, a, a play that was written about Lazarus. You know the story of Lazarus being resurrected from the dead. 
And uh, this play is about what takes place after that. And there's a point where Lazarus gets taken before the religious leaders and, um, and they confront him and they say, you know, if, um, if, if, you, do, if you do not uh, stop speaking about Jesus and what he has done for you, we're going to kill you. And, and the statement says after that, that, Jesus, that Lazarus laughs. Jesus, Lazarus laughs at, him, at them. Why? Because Lazarus already experienced death. And so he laughs and then he responds to them. He goes, don't you realize death is dead? Death is dead because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And so I think this is a, that's a beautiful picture of what Jesus is saying here. Hey, don't be afraid. Do not fear those who can take your life, but fear the one who can take both life and your soul. So that's number two. Do not fear those who kill the body, but not kill, but cannot kill the soul. Here's number three. Fear not, therefore, because you are more valuable than many sparrows. So I believe this verse, um, it's this picture of, and, and he describes it longer and gives this analogy of how he cares so much for and knows about nature how he cares and provides for nature. And he's saying, you know what? You are far more valuable than nature. You're far more valuable valuable than the birds and the sparrows. So have no fear. Have no fear because you are God's child and he will take care of you. So that's number two. Here's, or that's number three. So with that, in closing, um, looking at verses 32 through 33, I think this sums it up quite nicely. It says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so in chapter 10, verses 1 through 15, Jesus pronounces judgment on those who will reject the message. But here in these verses, verses 32 through 33, I think Jesus pronounces a judgment on those who will refuse to acknowledge him. So one is those who will reject the word. This one's actually a judgment on those who are unwilling to speak it and to acknowledge it. You know, this is a, a, a picture of this is with Peter, Remember when um, Jesus gets arrested and Peter um, is kind of following behind and these people come up to Peter and say, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter's like, nah, I'm, uh-uh, nope. Peter denies him three times. And, uh, you know, uh, Jesus actually prays for, for Peter before that even takes place. He goes, you know what? Satan, Satan wants you, and he's going to sift you, but I'm going to pray that you will overcome this, right? And so later, right, when, after Jesus is resurrected, he actually restores Peter. He, he shows mercy to him, and he restores them, and it's then later that 
with, with this changed heart, Peter proclaims the gospel of Jesus to the extent that he's willing to face imprisonment and torture and even death. There's a... Um, well, let me finish up with this because I think this is a serious pronouncement and I think it applies to us today. So here's the question. Are we willing to acknowledge Jesus and everything he teaches? You see, because it is easy to follow Jesus, the good teacher, or to follow Jesus who says nice things like love your neighbor. But do you or do we acknowledge Jesus who says things like I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Or when he says no one will enter the kingdom of heaven unless their righteousness is greater than the Pharisees. Jesus says some very difficult things, some very challenging things. And the, and the question is, is, are we still willing to speak those truths, to acknowledge Jesus, even when he says difficult truths? Friends, let me close with this of how we should respond. Here's three questions. When do you find it difficult to trust in the Lord and his promises. If you want, you can write these down. When do you find it difficult to trust in the Lord and his promises? Number two, are there situations where fear causes you to be silent when you need to speak up? Are there situations you find yourself in where fear causes you to be silent when you need to speak up? And number three, how will knowing you are greatly valued by God, give you confidence when fear takes hold. How will knowing you are greatly valued be by God give you confidence when fear takes hold? Friends, our call as disciples, as followers, is to follow the king into his kingdom, the promised king into his kingdom, one aspect of that is being able to, to acknowledge, to proclaim with word and also in action who he is and what he has done for us. This may cause opposition, so have no fear. God will give you the words to speak. He will be with you. You are more valuable than nature and birds and sparrows. With this, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, that this would bring about a conviction or a challenge for us that when we engage with others, even when it's difficult truths, that we would speak with confidence your truth, Lord, your word. In a way, Lord, not to be combative and to attack, but to entice those and to encourage those to repent and to follow after you. Lord, we thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.